0: All right, abiding in Christ is something that has sort of been a difficult thing for me over the years. It's always bothered me because I've never really understood what it meant. And so it, it's kind of a sweet irony that I'm having to teach about abiding in Christ. We talked last week about the fact that part of abiding in Christ is sticking with him um, even while we are being pruned, and so we had a little lesson last week all about vineyards and about how they get pruned. And so we're going to spend just a minute reviewing that a little bit before we jump in and do it again. But if you look at your handout, I've drawn, I've got, I've got a illustration of a vineyard for you, and you can see that in this in this ward picture that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 15. He talks about the vine dresser and the vine and the branch, and it's important that we understand who represents those pieces of a vineyard. So the vine dresser is the Heavenly Father, and the vine is Jesus himself, and when he talks about branches, he's talking about us. And so that illustration you see there shows a vine moving up vertically from the ground and then stretching out left and right. That's the vine And the branches are those things hanging off the the vine. And so we are the branches abiding with this vine who is Jesus Christ. And that's the illustration he's trying to give us in John chapter 15. If you look to the right of that illustration, you can see a photograph of the same thing. You see the vine coming up from the ground and then going left and right and the branches with those uh, huge grapes hanging on there. And, and then I've also given you a picture that we showed last week of a, of a modern-day vine dresser going through a vineyard and pruning. And you can see that he's got his, his pruning shears in his hand and he is very carefully snipping off branches. He doesn't have a big chainsaw. He's doing it very carefully and strategically and looking for exactly which branches to keep and which ones to let go. So this the key verse in chapter 15, if you want to just turn the page for just a second and look at verse 5, this is, the, this is the famous verse that we always think about when Jesus tells this word picture. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So back on the first page, when we talk about abiding, whenever the Lord uses that term, he's using that term in terms of growing and remaining. When you're abiding, you're remaining. You are dwelling. You are resting and staying. And, and Jesus says, as you're doing all those things, you'll also find joy. When you're abiding in me, you're resting in me. You're growing. You're remaining. And you're finding joy. And so last week, we talked about exactly how to abide in the Lord when he is doing the hard work of pruning us, disciplining us, correcting us. And that pruning is hard because it's confusing, and it's, it's, it's hard to bear. But Jesus says he only does that pruning with believers, with the people he has chosen and marked out to grow. And the main idea when we, when we get pruned is the, for the purpose of growing, So, this week we're we're going to talk about how to abide with the Lord. Otherwise, instead of in the times of pruning, how do we abide with Him in normal times? And it's strange when He tells this word picture in John chapter fifteen, just these eleven verses. The Lord uses the term abiding or words like it nine times, just in these eleven verses. He says it over and over again. He talks about abiding in Himself. He talks about abiding. In his love, he talks, us, talks about abiding in his words and abiding while we pray and abiding in obedience and abiding, and abiding while being pruned and then finding joy in that abiding. So that word is going to come up nine times, just in 11 verses. All right, let's read it together. Chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. All right. So he mentions us nine times about abiding with him, and so I don't know. I kind of think maybe he really means it if he's going to mention it that many times. He's talking about us abiding with him, and the question is, how do we do this? And by the way, how how do we exactly abide with the Lord? And just to summarize it on your handout, I've given you, we're going to say that in order to abide with the Lord, you've got to have these things. You've got to have the knife of the Lord, which is what we talked about last week with pruning. You've got to have that. It's part of abiding with him. You've also got to have the love of the Lord. You've got to have love for him. You've got to have his love for you. You've got to have that vital vital connection to the Lord. You've got to be somewhat helpless if you're going to abide with him. That's the authentic connection you've got to have from your heart, a little bit helpless, a vital connection. You've also got to abide with the Lord and have the word of God. You've got to know what his commandments are and obey them. And then we also have to have joy while we're abiding. So when we're abiding, you've got to have these five things. And so just to review for a second last week, we talked about the knife of the Lord. So we'll go through these. We talked about last time, the work of the vine dresser, our heavenly father, is two big things. He, he takes the unbelievers, he, he equates us as branches with believers and unbelievers all on the same vine. And the Lord separates and distinguishes between unfruitful branches, which are unbelievers, which are thrown out and burned, and then he he says the fruitful branches, which are us, the believers. And so right off the bat, Jesus talks about the fact that believers are not part of this. He is mainly addressing this word picture to people who believe in him. And unbelievers are snipped away and taken off and burned. Believers, though, us, go through pruning, and we talked about how hard that is, and we talked just last week about three helpful things when we're getting pruned. We talked about the fact that when we're being pruned, we've got to submit to ambiguity. We've got to be, we've got to learn how to live under the Lord when that cutting is going on because it's confusing, and it's painful, and it's hard to understand. We also talked about the fact that while we're being pruned, we've got to see Jesus accurately and not ignorantly. We talked about the fact that if you were to go into a vineyard right after someone had gone through and pruned and that's all you saw, you'd think, wow, there was an attack going on here. You'd see perfectly good buds on the ground. You'd see those vines bleeding because vines do bleed when you snip them. And you'd, if you didn't know any better, you'd think someone just came through this vineyard and cut it up. And the truth is that it's not it's not random at all that when a vine dresser comes through, he's very careful about what is snipped. We talked about the fact that lots of times vine dressers will put little colored ribbons, cloth ribbons, around the branches that he wants to make sure he saves, that he doesn't cut. So it's very deliberate. So we've got to view our pruning accurately, rehearsing the truth, and not ignorantly. Okay? And then we also talked last week about when we have been pruned... There's nothing like if you've gone through correction with the Lord and He has pruned you, it's just you and Him. And there's something very powerful about being pruned, and that's what happens biologically when pruning happens. That branch that remains has gotten more, it gets now more nutrients than ever before. Those other branches have been taken off, and you get as a branch the full nutrition of that vine, and that's what happens to us when we are pruned. We, if you've ever been through that, and I'm sure you have, it's just you and the Lord, and there's something about great growth that happens. So, we, um, last week, I sat at the table with a, with a man who was kind of real experienced at pruning. I'd never met him before, and he was talking about his own experience with pruning rose bushes, and he said that um he said and he does it a lot, and he said in Tyler, Texas, which of course is the rose capital of the world, he said, people that prune roses there have a saying, and that's that if you really want to prune, do a good job with pruning your roses, have your neighbor do it. Isn't that good? Because it takes courage to prune. And you'll be and that's why our Lord prunes us, because we won't have the courage to do it ourselves. We don't know what to cut and we're and it's scary and you need someone who is wise to do it for you, who's in some ways uh, emotionally unattached. So, so the knife of the Lord is one thing we need to abide by. The other thing we need to abide when we're abiding with the Lord is the love of the Lord. We have to have this. Now, if you ever wonder how much, you know, if you ever wonder how much Christ really loves you, or if he loves you at all, just take a close look at verse number 9. Look at verse 9. And let this sink in. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. This is an incredible comparison. Jesus is saying, I love you the same way my Father loves me. I I love you perfectly perfectly, I know you completely, and you are completely loved. Maybe you don't have anyone in your in your life telling you that you are loved by them. If that's the case, look at this verse straight on. You should put this on your bathroom mirror or on your screensaver. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So Jesus is saying: soak this in, abide with me, grow here. Rest here. Don't minimize this. Your enmity with the Lord is over. When you were saved, prior to being saved, you and I were enemies of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. We weren't born children of God. We were born enemies of him. And when the Lord saved us, that enmity was over. And you and I now are loved and we're friends of his and we are loved like no one has ever loved you. And so, let that sink in. If you want to abide with Christ, remember this. It's the most consistent message of the Bible. We are loved. Period. We are chosen in advance. He has set his love on us, and Jesus wants us to abide in this truth. He wants us to know we are loved. And he will make sure we are fruitful. He will make he will help us be obedient. That's why we're chosen branches. It's the benefit of abiding in Christ. The Father has loved you. The Father has loved me, so I've loved you, Jesus says. Abide in this. So, um, the Apostle Paul says the same thing in Romans 5. He says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. And so, we need to be looking for ways God is pouring his love into our hearts. That's what abiding is. Look for ways that the Lord Jesus is Pouring his love into your heart. All right. Part of also being loved and abiding in this love is, is growing. And you gotta, if I were to ask you, are you are you growing in your love for the Lord? Is it getting, are you getting closer to him or not? And one of the ways you can tell is: do you enjoy spending more and more time with God? I've got a 20-year-old daughter who has a boyfriend of two years, and and it's a good example for me because she always talks about Jake, and you know Jake does this. Jake's family is really good. They do this over here. Isn't Jake clever? Because he does this. Isn't Jake is so strong? And she just talks about Jake all the time. And she'll spend a long time FaceTiming with him, and and they'll hang up, and within an hour. They're doing it again, and she'll excuse herself from dinner to go talk to Jake, and so, and so you gotta wonder, what, don't they ever get tired of this? You know, but when you're in love or whatever that is for them, you know, you wanting to spend more and more time. And so, when you're abiding with the Lord, the, a component to abiding with Him is to love him and to feel love from him and to love him back and to know if that's true for you, are you spending more and more time with him? Can you just not wait to talk to him? Do you feel gratitude for him? Do you give him credit for things? Do you enjoy his character? You know, one of the things that I've noticed I do when I'm kind of falling um, in a lackadaisical state with the Lord and I'm kind of losing my fervor for him, I'll want to be reminded of what he's like. I'll kind of forget what he's like. Usually in a hard time or in a prosperous time, I'll just kind of forget what he's like. And I want to be reminded. And I told you this last week, and I will tell you this again. One way you can kind of get reminded of what he's like and fall in love with him some more is to read, look for his character in the Scripture. And one of the ways I do this, in my worst days, and when I want to get back into fellowship with the Lord, I will read... The book of jonah i know that seems weird and and i will i like the book of jonah because it's short it's only four chapters you can read the whole thing in about five minutes or seven minutes and what i will do is i'll get my pen out and i'll read the book of jonah and i'll i'll ask the lord to tell me remind me what you're like lord because i kind of forget i forget what you're like and so i'll read the book of jonah and I will start underlining places where it gives us indications of what he's like, what he, what he prizes, what he doesn't like, how he redeems people, how, what he thinks about, about all sorts of things. You can see right there in the book of Jonah how strong he is, how powerful, how loving he is, and how smart he is. You can read all those things in the book of Jonah. So I will underline all these character attributes of the Lord and and then the next day I'll go back over it again and look at those things and be reminded, oh, yeah, this is what you're like. That's right, Lord. You're, you have compassion. That's right. You, you're, you'll come after me if, if I wander. Those kinds of things. Now, you can do that same thing with any book of the Bible. I just kind of do it with Jonah because it's, it's, there's a lot of action in it, and it's short, and it kind of reminds me what he's like. So part of being in love with the Lord and abiding with him is is understanding him and loving him and drawing close. So, again, how to abide in the vine? We have to have the knife of the Lord for pruning. We have to have the love of the Lord. And then thirdly, we've got to have a a vital connection to him. We've got to be a little bit helpless when we're doing this. So in verse 4, it says, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, this is fine, Jesus, except that sometimes it does seem like we can bear fruit under our own power. It does kind of seem like that, doesn't it? Sometimes if we're smart enough, we think we can kind of be fruitful. Or um, if you're in your core competencies, you're sort of apt to be good at things, you tend to think, Lord, I can really do this. And I tell you, this happens to me almost every day. I will be getting ready for work or having something in front of me, and I'll think, I don't, I don't need to ask the Lord for help in this. I've got this. And I'll think, you know, if, I'm really, if it's really true that Jesus says, you can't do anything without me, that means, what does that mean? That means I'm going to have to be asking him every, every couple hours for help in something, and I don't want to do that. And Jesus is saying, no, really, Without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. And so the question is, do you feel that dependent and that helpless on him? Because that's what it takes to abide in the Lord. Apart from me, I can do nothing. Now, we can try to do a lot of things under our own power, but what happens is those things never become eternal. So we've got to stop being our own savior, and we've got to start asking him repeatedly and humbling ourselves and admitting that we can do nothing without him. There's nothing worse than doing the Lord's work with your own power. It's flat. It does not last. And so Jesus is saying, don't forget that. Part of abiding with me is being helpless and drawing on me and having that vital connection. There are people who try to abide with Christ but it's kind of an external, it's an external effort. They're very busy people doing very good things, but clearly their motives are fear-driven or pride-driven, and those things never last. They give a little bit of fruit. They don't glorify God. They glorify ourselves, and we never have changed lives. And so we can't really believe, for people who are like that, they believe that we really can do things apart from the Lord. But if we have a healthy helplessness going on, change is almost inevitable. When we, when we admit that we cannot live a good life by ourselves and we must have the vine and we admit that Jesus doesn't really want my time and my money and my achievements, but he wants me, he wants you, then things start to change. We even pray differently differently. In verse 7, it says, if you abide in me and, and, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. That's what happens when you're, when you're feeling helpless and you admit that you cannot do anything without, apart from the Lord. His heartbeat becomes our heartbeat. His mission becomes our mission. And we start to pray differently. And the things we pray for are the things that the Lord will honor. And so, when we're abiding in the vine, it's kind of hard to pray for things that are contrary to his will. When we're living and abiding in the vine, it's hard to be chronically and willfully disobedient. And so when we're abiding in the vine and we're praying for things that are wrong, a red flag comes to our spirit, and we realize it's not right. So our abiding impacts what we ask for. All right, so this vital connection comes from a story from a changed heart and being a little bit helpless. So to abide with the Lord, we've got to have the knife of the Lord. We've got to be pruned. We've got to have a love affair going on with the Lord, like my daughter and Jake. And we've got to have this vital connection, feeling helpless without him. Even though it seems like we can do a lot ourselves, we've got to be helpless. Then... Page three of your handout says one more thing. We've got to have the word of the Lord. If we're going to abide with him, we've got to have the word. That means we've got to know what it is he wants, what his commands are, and we've got to obey it. So in verse 10, the Lord says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So to keep his commandments, we've got to know what they are. We've got to know Jesus's words. Um, Several years ago, I was downstairs in the children's wing, children's area, by the red desk, and I was walking through there, and there was no one there, and there was a little poster up on the wall, and it said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I got to thinking, what what are his commandments anyway? Do I know what they are, and am I obeying them or not? it kind of got to me. It's a children's wing. I'm a, I'm a mature believer, but I got to thinking, what are those commandments? When Jesus says, if you, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, what are they? And so I went home and I got out the book of John, the gospel of John, and I started going through, I did it, it took me a couple of days, a little bit at a time. I wrote down all the things that Jesus seem that seemed to be important to Jesus. Things that he commanded or things that were clearly important to him and made a list on the left and on the right. I, I had to make an assessment. Am I am I doing the things that the Lord commands? Do I even know what they are? Well Jesus is saying part of abiding in him is obeying him, knowing what his words are and obeying them. So there's a correlation between loving Jesus and obeying Jesus. That's part of abiding. Obeying him is kind of an acid test to know whether we're abiding in him. But you know, Christian obedience is different. It grows out of love. There's a when I was with Verizon for many years, there was a a senior VP out of New York who was, um, and I fell under his jurisdiction, and he he was famous for being the most ruthless, ruthless, critical man ever. And, and it was astounding he, to watch him. I would be in like group meetings and he would just berate the audience. And it was like, he was unbelievably creative in the ways that he could absolutely <laughs> stick it to everybody in the room. It was, it was like an art form. This guy was so good at it. And, so, and sometimes I think, surely the next time we screw up, it won't be as bad, but it was. It was even worse. He was incredibly bad, and he would have conference calls. Sometimes it was just a leadership team, but he'd also have conference calls with the whole team, which would be like 800 people. And, and he would um, he'd call these conference calls together, and he'd say, among other things, I want you to look at um, th- the marketing offers that we put out this week. And he said, "Uh, I want you all to understand those marketing plans. And I'm going to call on somebody during this conference call to tell me what this week's marketing plan is. And so, do you think anyone really looked that up and wanted to know what it was? Yeah, everybody did. Everybody was going crazy making sure they knew what the marketing plan was because this guy would call, would just name somebody out of the 500 on the phone and... They'd unmute themselves and have to kind of talk. It was, it was terrible. So everybody spent a lot of time with us. My, my point is that this guy had 100% obedience. 100% obedience. Everybody did what they were supposed to do for those conference calls. But they hated him. So their obedience wasn't driven by anything but wanting to stay out of trouble. Christian obedience is just the opposite. Christian obedience is, I want to abide with the Lord because I love him. I want, to, I want to obey him because I love him. It's Tim Keller said, it's kind of like when you go to the Lord and say, your wish is my command, and I'll do anything for you. It's not, Jesus, what do you want now? It's not that. It's, I'll do anything you want. What do you, what do you want? I can remember being a fifth grader, and one of my friends and I were were outside because our teacher asked for volunteers to go and pound erasers. That was back when there was actually chalk in a classroom and blackboards. And the and teacher said, who wants to go outside and bang these erasers and clean them up? And so my friend and I went out there. We were just out there banging these things and chalk dust was everywhere, remember that? And, um, and as we were doing this, the two of us were remarking, you know, why are we so eager to do this? You know, at home when our moms ask us to do stuff, we don't, we don't jump to the task, but why is it that when we're at school and the teacher says, could I get someone to run down the hall or could I get someone to bang erasers? We're, we can't wait. What's the answer? It's because there's a, there's a joy in, in, in honoring your teacher. You love your teacher. You probably want to get out of class too, but, but there's something about about giving honor to your teacher, and it's a a tremendous honor to obey. So that's the same thing. When it comes to abiding in the Lord, he wants us to obey him, and it's a pleasure. You know, people who don't abide in the Lord are always looking for loopholes and ways to escape obedience. But when you love him and you want to obey him, it's a pleasure. But remember, part of obeying him is knowing his word. There was a there was a time. It seems like about maybe 15 years ago here in this church, where one generous family um, had pro- provided for the whole church the one year Bible. I think it was like 1996 or something like that, and it was a big expense. But but I'd never I'd never seen or known about the one year Bible really. And, and so since it was free, I just picked up a copy. And, and it's the kind of thing where you read every day an assigned Old Testament passage and assigned New Testament passage and assigned Psalm and a proverb every day. And it just starts at the beginning of the Bible. And it's timed and planned in such a way that at day 365, you have finished the whole thing. And so I just started doing that. Um, It was one of the most fabulous growth experiences I've ever had. I started reading passages of scripture I wouldn't have ordinarily read. That's what happens when you do the one-year Bible. And I started getting a sense of who the Lord was and what he wanted from me, like i would never had before. That's, That's a way to know him and to abide in him and to grow close to him and to know how to obey him. And I came across things I'd never seen. Fabulous exercise. I would also suggest, if you're looking for a suggestion, that, that um, part of knowing the Lord better, if you read a devotional every day or some of the times, I would suggest if you're feeling a little flat with the Lord and wanting to know more about him and how to obey him, that you maybe put aside your devotional for a while and read passages of Scripture straight. And you will find, instead of having some other author's viewpoint of the Lord, you can get the Lord himself. And so that's what I will do. I will read, like, just a chapter a day out of, you know, I'm a story kind of guy, so I like the narrative. So I'll read a chapter of a narrative, um, a chapter of 1 Samuel, and maybe have a little commentary with it, and just focus there. And then the next day, do the same thing. And just stay in the scripture itself um, that really does help I would suggest if, that, if you're feeling a little flat you might want to try that All right. last thing about abiding in the Lord is Jesus says you should have joy while you're abiding in me in verse 11 he says these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full so the question is how joyful are we now, if, if I were to go to like five people you know, if you were to go to five people that you know, people at work, people at church, friends, family, just five people, and have them give you, you know, five characteristics of you, what are five characteristics of you? Would joy be one of those things that comes up on the list that people have noticed about you? I'll bet Not. Why? Why is that? Maybe it's because we're not that joyful. Maybe that's why it doesn't come up. And the question is why are we not that joyful? Are we too cool to be joyful? Is it, not, is it unmanly to be joyful? The Lord says, I want you as you abide in me to have my joy in you. I want you to be have joy. About me, I want your whole life to be full of joy. And we're not. And sometimes we're not full of joy because we think we can find joy somewhere else other than Jesus. And we, or we might think, you know, I'll be joyful, but I need some things to get handled first. I mean, I need my kids to turn out better because that's on my mind all day long. And, or, you know, I'd, I'd be joyful if I could just, get financially secure, then I could be joyful. Or I could be joyful if I felt more important. I'd I'd be more joyful if my wife loved me. I'd be more joyful if I had a wife. Those are the kind of things that kind of stand in the way of our joy. And the Lord is saying, look, look at these things that I'm doing for you as we abide. I'm pruning you. I am loving you. I'm making you Uh, I've given you a vital connection to me. Can you find joy somewhere else other than me? My mother always had a core sense of joy, regardless of her circumstances. She always would say that she always had this sense, this core sense that could never be taken away from her. She had joy, even in the worst days, she had joy. Our joy is often being sapped, and so as we finish on your handout, I just wrote some of those statements that we've just read here that Jesus made. They're very clear statements, and I want to know if you and I really believe these statements are true. So when the Lord says, you know, you cannot cannot bear fruit, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Do we really believe that? Or do we think we really can bear fruit without him? And when the Lord says, whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Is that true or do we doubt that's true? Do we like being dependent, being the branches? When he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Do you doubt that's true? Do you still feel unloved? See, these are the kind of things. Look at these statements that Jesus gave us and decide if they really are true for you or not. If, they, if you find that you kind of doubt their, their truthfulness, that's probably why you're sapped of joy. Jesus was trying to encourage us. These were some of the last words he spoke to his disciples. He's trying to say, look, abide in me and you'll have joy, you'll have fruit bearing like you've never believed. And I'll be taking care of you. I love you just like the Father loves me. It's perfect love. Can you find joy in this? You'll only find joy if you believe it's true, if you believe these statements are true. All right. So abiding in the Lord is what we're supposed to do. And and even though it seems elusive, remember, you are loved. You are loved. You are safe. Abide with him. All right, let's pray. Father God, who do we have but you? Where could we go but be with you? We thank you for your sacrifice and your pruning and your love for us and your words. Thank you for all of that. Help us to abide and grow in you and have joy.